Welcome to another episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. Hi, Liz. Hey, how you doing? Good. It's been a while, right? Yeah, we, yeah. we need to get back on this I miss podcast you. train. It's been a while. <laughs> right? But today we are getting into the nitty gritty of evidence-based practice. What is it? I'm Maybe you've heard that word before, that phrase before, um, or maybe you haven't. And it's really important to understand this when you are pregnant, when you're going to give birth in a hospital setting, especially. So we're going to dive in. What is evidence-based practice? What is the purpose of it? And really, this is more of like an overview, kind of like a a Cliff Notes version, if you will. There are people who do this for a living. They are researchers. They they research evidence-based practice for birth and for other things, for medical practice. So we're just going to do an overview of what this might be like for a pregnant person giving birth in the hospital. Yep. So let's get started. Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica. We are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we talk about birth and nursing practice and labor and delivery, and in a broader sense, the whole world of nursing too. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a first-time pregnant parent, a parent to one or more babies, or a professional in the birth world, this podcast is for you. Join me and Liz and special guests as we share and learn from each other here on the Birth Nurses Podcast. I know that evidence-based is sort of in the everyday normal vernacular now regarding all kinds of things, and I was just joking with you that... When my son was young and completely convinced he was never going to ride a bicycle, I said, well, you know, all evidence points to you probably will because there's not that many kids your age who can't ride a bike. Right. <laughs> I would Let's just look sort of at the point data that here. out along the way. Let's look at the data. <laughs> look around you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, evidence-based practice is important because it aims to provide the most effective care that's available with the aim of improving patient outcomes. Patient mm. outcomes is a big thing. Yeah. When we look at patient outcomes, I'm not sure that we look enough at the emotional, psychological outcomes, but we look at things like morbidity and mortality, and that has to do with difficult outcomes like long-term sequelae, injury, and very sadly, often um, morbidity, Yeah, maternal death, Mm -hmm. maternal fetal death. death. Um, We know that there's so many different sources of evidence Right. There's reviews and studies from all over the world, countries. Um, We have lots and lots of different sources like A1 and ACOG. And A1 is the Association of Women's Health Obstetrics and Neonatal Nurses. This organization seeks to empower perinatal nurses through research and education and advocacy. And, you know, Shannon and I are big on patient advocacy. Yep. So joining A1, if you're a registered nurse out there and you're an obstetric nurse, I think it should be required. Yeah. I think that nurses need to learn how to understand what meta-analysis is so that we can really educate And we can really have meaningful conversations with the obstetricians about why we're taking such hardline stands on patients being able to do what they want to do. Right. 
Right? Yeah. And patients can't be expected to know all of this. Absolutely. They're living their own lives. <laughs> you know, they got pregnant and they're tra- they're doing their best to go on YouTube or Instagram and find the available information. Totally so agree. when, you know, when we as birth educators, we have this opportunity to educate in the most uh, effective way and with evidence to back up what we're saying. It's not just hearsay. It's not just these these wives' tales of you know what works for that person down the road. Yeah. Like it's ev- it's based in data and evidence and outcomes. Yeah, those outcomes are also um, you know we look at what's called meta analysis, and these are these are professional researchers who look at meta-analysis and they gather the data from all the best of the best. Mm -hmm. Uh, You guys may have heard or may not have heard of Cochrane Review. And Cochrane Review is considered, you know, the thing. Mm -hmm. That means great resource resource for really taking analysis and research from many different sources. Um, The American College of Obstetricians was founded in 1951, and they're really considered the premier professional membership organization for OBGYNs. And there's about 60,000 OBs that comprise um, this organization and then there's peer reviews and there's the American College of Mis- Midwives. And then we have C, um, MQCC, and that's California Maternity Quality Care Collaborative, very focused on improving healthcare response to things like obstetric hemorrhage. So they're sort of my jam. I'm into, yes. I'm into this uh, collaborative. And I think that we need to start training our nurses and understanding these reviews and um, getting very, very involved so that they can advocate for the patient and say, well, you know what? I have some meta-analysis for you to read and you can look at the reason why A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be <laughs> glacier pace to try to uh, move the obstetric community into involving yeah. their patients in um, this kind of yeah. If you, you know, think about but. how long it takes for a new medication to be approved by the FDA right. or for new, I can't even think of another example. Oh, I but mean, so many, things. so many things. It Absolutely. takes a long time, and to yeah. to persuade OBGYNs and mm-hmm. practitioners, healthcare providers, to change their practice. Okay, perfect example. Ooh. I have one. This is my Sorry. favorite, and I know that you're into this too. Uh Oddly, I only knew maybe a small handful, which means half a handful of (laughs) obstetricians who are even willing to have a conversation about, let's just say, positions for pushing. This is a big deal. We've had guests having to do with uh, uh, preserving the pelvic floor, Mm -hmm. right? And physical um, therapists. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say a patient says, you know, there's some good evidence for sideline pushing or hands and knees pushing for a posterior baby or pelvic floor floor preservation. Mm-hmm. And let's break that down a little bit. Pelvic yeah. floor preservation means preventing tears in the perineum. Right. Yeah. And preventing uterine prolapse, organ Absolutely. prolapse in the pelvic floor. Just incontinence. Yeah. Um, Hemorrhoids even could be included in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I believe that patients should be entitled to ask their obstetricians for good, reliable sources for evidence. 
any procedure, treatment, or intervention is on the table. For example, yeah, what if that patient is like, I want to push on my side, right. Dr. So-and-so? Yeah, could be really something simple like, I want to get on my hands and knees. Mm-hmm. And there's some pretty good ends- evidence that side-lying positions may be protective of the pelvic floor. And oftentimes I find that the problem is the obstetrician, is the person that may not find it comfortable for themselves, mm. therefore may be discouraging instead of open and supportive. And I don't believe that the obstetrician in any way, shape or form is trying to waylay, you know, I don't want to do what she wants to do. I'm just not comfortable on the hands and knees. And let's face it, I know that sometimes we get into the gross nitty gritty of labor and delivery, but it's a a gooey, watery, bloody world Mm -hmm. and it's messy. Yeah. Hands and knees pushing. That baby comes out, a gush of fluid. It goes everywhere. It's a good foot and a half to the bed. Right. And it's like, okay, gown up, glove up and goggle up, ladies, gentlemen, we're going to we're going to do a hands and knees birth. Yeah. And every patient should be allowed to say, "Mm, no, this is the way I want to do it. Especially occipit posterior position, which means the baby's back of the head is up against the maternal sacrum, causing oftentimes some severe, unrelenting back labor. Yeah. And hands and knees will open up the outlet of the pelvis, yeah. which is what we need when we're laying on our backs that close and with the knees wide apart, that closes off the outlet. We learned that in our pelvic floor physical therapist Absolutely. episode. I actually show that video to patients and obstetricians like when obstetricians are trying to have the patient pull their knees way out yeah. and back. That's evidence right there. And That's you can do right there. demonstration too by having someone sit on their hands and feel their sits bones mm-hmm. and then open their legs wide and, and angle their knees in and see how that feels and how the sits bones move which demonstrates how the outlet is opening and closing. Yeah. So there's evidence right there on different positions that help bring the baby through the maternal pelvis. Yeah. Hey, Liz, did you know that my business is called Preparented? I do. Because I want you to be 100% prepared for parenthood. I teach you classes about birth, breastfeeding, and newborn care. My specialty is helping you have an unmedicated natural birth in the hospital setting. Aren't you a lactation educator? Yeah, I'm a lactation consultant, an IBCLC. So I can go to your home if you're in Los Angeles to help you breastfeed your baby. For those of you not in Los Angeles, I also do virtual consults. We can get so much accomplished during a virtual consult. And then I have some a la carte items like a personalized pumping plan where if you're going back to work and you just need help figuring out how to pump and get a stash so that you can have enough milk to feed your baby when you're at work, I can help you navigate that whole process. I also have a text me anything membership for a month. You can text me anything, any questions you have while you're postpartum and you're figuring out that newborn life and you're exhausted and you just need a little extra mama support. You can go to my website, www.preparented.com or my Instagram at preparented for funny videos featuring my family and also my silly face. You do have the best videos. <laughs> <laughs> 
is evidence to back it up. So let's say that a patient goes to see her OB for routine prenatal visit around 38, 39 weeks. And then the doctor says, okay, I want to do a cervical exam. How can the patient best go about this conversation to ask for evidence? And it could be any intervention. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. Do you want your membranes swept? Yeah. What What does that mean? Means that the physician or midwife is taking a finger and trying to put their finger in between the amniotic sac and the uterine wall, thereby releasing prostaglandins, which may initiate labor. However, there is some evidence for causing earlier infected membranes. We call that amnionitis. And at what point is that a good idea? Not to mention the fact that it can be very, very painful. Yeah. And... I think it's fair to say, if you're going to do a cervical exam, can you tell me specifically what it is that you're looking for? Mm -hmm. Because a routine cervical exam should not be excruciatingly painful. And just in some women alone, just in and of itself, it is not a comfortable exam. So adding something like membrane sweeping just adds to the trauma of already having to have your cervix examined. Right. So asking, what are you going to do when you examine? Yes. Are you going to sweep my membranes? Okay, what's the evidence on that? Yeah. What's the risk benefit? I know that's one of your favorite, favorite buzzwords. Favorite buzzwords. <laughs> I ask myself that every day in many situations. What's the risk benefit of doing this? <laughs> and then letting the patient decide right. what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And she can say no. Yeah. She has the right to say no. You can say no. Or you could say I'm three centimeters dilated mm-hmm. and this might help me have my baby in the next few days. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure. in. Yeah. Then you made that decision. <laughs> Please do. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Big on evidence. Yes, we are. Don't be afraid to ask. And as, as a patient, like you're not expected to know all of this information and to do the research yourself. And thankfully there are people who do this for a living. They are researchers. And there is one in particular. Her name is Dr. Rebecca L. Decker. She has her PhD and RN. She is a a doctor of nursing. And she's the founder and CEO of Evidence-Based Birth, which is an organization where they research for you all of the evidence for birth practices. Yeah, And they make things really simple in articles that they write on their website and they have a podcast as well. So I love her podcast. We are, we yes. are, we are happy to plug yeah. Rebecca's so podcast them out at evidence-based birth. And, um, and now we want to go through six evidence-based care practices that promote physiological birth. We want you guys to have smooth labors and it, it, there is evidence to show that when you let physiological birth start on its own, uh, you will have the best chance of a smooth delivery. Right. And we know that there are papers and reviews and studies out there that suggest early inductions may decrease the C-section rate. But I don't read a lot about decreasing rates of infected membranes postpartum obstetrical hemorrhage, uh, long 
drawn out births and long pushing because of earlier need for epidurals and immobility. So sometimes cesarean section, which is absolutely, you know, part of the, you know, the maternal care collaborative in California, reducing C-section rate, reducing morbidity and mortality. Mm -hmm. It's a big thing. But um, we know that avoiding medically unnecessary inductions of labor, allowing freedom of movement for the laboring women and providing continuous labor support, avoiding routine interventions and restrictions, Encouraging spontaneous pushing in non-supine positions, so not laying on your back, and then keeping mothers and babies together after birth without restrictions on breastfeeding. That has shown to increase rates of breastfeeding and increase bonding between mothers and babies as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And we know that within maternity services, evidence-based practice has been recognized as crucial for reducing the use of non-evidence-based information, which has been associated with the over-medicalization of normal pregnancy and birth. Oh, I'm just over it. Yeah. I'm over the, like, seeing a pregnant woman as sick and needing medical intervention. You know, I have to tell you, and we are going to talk about this in one of our next upcoming podcasts, there is a sharp increase in comorbidities in my everyday practice. Mm -hmm. I almost never get a patient who's considered what I, what I call normal, normal. And so when you look at what's normal now, I'm putting quotes in the air, you guys, we are adding in things like maternal chronic hypertension. Mm Mm-hmm superimposed pregnancy-induced hypertension, preeclampsia, the comorbidity that comes with prolonged infertility, IVF, taking multiple different kinds of medications. Yep, anxiety medications. Anxiety medications, absolutely. Uh, Diabetes. There's new standards for deciding whether or not someone is considered diabetic. Everybody will get a glucose tolerance test at around 26, 27 Mm -hmm. weeks. Um, There are new uh, standards for looking at whether you are likely to become uh, a patient with preeclampsia. Our population is older, more stressed out. So there are indications for medical intervention. But if you don't fall into one of these categories... You know, I, I feel like we, we almost treat everybody as though they're ill. Right, because that's what has become, quote unquote, normal. Yeah. Okay. I'm Elizabeth Baker Wade. I am a labor and delivery nurse, registered nurse, birth educator, and podcaster. My birth education classes are concentrated on how to have a better hospital birth and high-risk pregnancy. What's high risk? What does that mean? High risk are moms who are experiencing histories of chronic hypertension, pregnancy-induced hypertension, we call that preeclampsia, insulin-dependent diabetes, infertility, and other comorbidities in their pregnancy, which bump them into a higher risk category. Mm. Why do you like to teach about high risk pregnancies? Because there's going to be more interventions often in the high-risk mom. 
and getting familiar with the vernacular and understanding the risk benefit of these interventions and why your obstetrician is going to bring them up and getting prepared for what's going to happen in the hospital, I think can really greatly reduce fear and anxiety. And a lot of moms out there have comorbidities these days. It's true. We need to help them out on their way. Making peace with intervention when necessary helps for a better, smoother labor and delivery. I think. How can someone sign up for your class? They can go to birthandbeyond.net. You can email me at liz at birthandbeyond.net. I will respond within 24 hours. All my schedules, fees, and times are on my website. I also have a consultation membership and a text me anything membership for a month at a time where I will answer as many texts as you need for questions that come up out of the blue. Lots of texts come after the appointment, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I just had an appointment with my LB and I don't what does understand. This mean? Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm at birthandbeyond.net. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. We hope it was helpful. And we're going to be intertwining evidence-based information into our episodes. Absolutely. More and more, which we already do. Yes, we do. But we're going to make that more of a thing on the forefront. Absolutely. Ask questions. Don't be afraid. Look for evidence. Yep. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as birthnurseliz, and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.